What's up, guys? Connor O'Hanlon here for another episode of the Con O Show. And today we're going to be talking about like a thousand different little stories. Um, each of them may have uh, some impact, some of them bigger than others. And uh, some of them will piggyback on recent episodes, uh, themes and topics, as a lot of these usually do. But um you know, I think we're just ready to dive on in, uh, especially if I want to get all of these in on some level. Um, we're going to start with the uh, big one for Pennsylvanians, and that would be um, Dr. Oz deciding to run for the Senate as a Republican, of course. So where do we start with this one? Let's just state the Democrats have quite a few candidates so far. Um, There's really three or four that are really viable to win the nomination. Um, Frankly, I'd be very, very okay with either John Fetterman being the... John Fetterman is my preferred candidate as of right now, um, or Malcolm Kenyatta being the nominees. Uh, There are a few others. um, uh, And... There are a lot more on the Republican side as it comes to the Senate and to the gubernatorial candidate. Um, there, there is an overall uh, story to be told there about the way that pro, uh, uh, pro primaries are run in both parties and how they're perceived by voters and how they're perceived by the party officials. That is not exactly the point I'm bringing up here. But just noting that there are a ton of Republicans in these races, and I don't know any of them uh, are are frankly fitting for the job. Um, I mean, obviously, I would disagree with them on policy, but I mean, I think Master, Master I don't even know how to say his name. Uh, the one guy running for governor is like nuts, and uh, Dr. Oz now is getting in the game for the Senate. So why does this matter? Should we be concerned Um, I'll start off with why it matters. Dr. Oz is going to be a trial run part two of the TV celebrity. And granted, it's not the first time like Trump wasn't the first celebrity to run. Ronald Reagan was a medium grade actor. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was an actor, obviously. Um, there are other, you know, Al Franken, frankly, was uh, is an example of somebody that was a comedian. There are people that use their platforms to get into politics afterwards, right? And Dr. Oz has been on TV, I think, every day, basically, for I don't even know how long, a very, very long time. And he is not the purveyor of the most accurate information he is not the most reliable source for your medical health he is not the most reliable source for products that they promote and sell and services that they promote and sell on his show um now again maybe maybe i just haven't seen enough of the show it just so happens that Someone in my house (laughs) at least used to watch the show quite often. So I I have watched and seen a good portion of the show that and like the the doctor's um, show, which is not his show, but 
they're similar in, in a lot of ways, right? And the reason why this matters is because the obsession in American culture with celebrities and with icons from TV, um, it's changing in younger people, again, because younger people don't watch the same media. I mean, like, one show is the biggest show would be like Squid Game in, in most recently. And that's not even an American show. Um, I mean, before that, you have like Game of Thrones. You have these things, right? Like maybe if Kit Harrington was going to run uh, and have his British accent on the uh, Senate floor, you know, depending on like what they're actually running on, I would analyze that, right? I wouldn't just say, oh, I know that guy from TV. And I think a lot of younger voters, I mean, younger voters, including like 50 and down, I'm not talking about just like 25 year olds like myself, recognize that the symbol, like the, uh, the symbols that these people represent aren't like real. They are, uh, Actors, they are entities that they play a character on TV. They are on scripts. They are uh, programmed, not necessarily uh, the most genuine people to have fighting for certain causes. And especially one like Dr. Oz that has continuously promoted stupid products, that continues to promote um bad advice when it comes to the the global pandemic that we're undergoing and frankly um the celebrities seem to be going for the republican party which i will come back to why it matters and like uh should we be scared kind of deal in a second but it is important to note that when it comes to the critique of democrats and republicans the Republicans always tell celebrities to shut up, you know, go, go, uh, just dribble the ball, you know, to LeBron James. That's what I think Tucker Carlson said. Um, they tell at like Colin Kaepernick, you know, stop taking a knee. Um, I mean, the, the list goes on and on of like athletes and then, you know, you have actors and the, you know, all that stuff plays into the same thing. Celebrities more broadly. And consistently, Hannity, Carlson, Laura Ingram, all these folks on Fox News in particular, tell them to like sit down, shut up, do your thing over there. Um, or and musicians for that matter, because of course musicians can't be political; they're just uh, stupid artists or something like that. Is I, like I don't understand how narrow-minded you have to be to be like, well, you're an artist or you're a uh, a musician. Or you're an actor, like not not realizing that actors portray stories that are are interpretations of political realities, and um, songs can be written about. You know, I mean, you, you talk about crazy. Like, there are songs written about, like, uh, I mean, System of a Down writes songs about recognizing the Armenian genocide. There are things like that in music and art and acting and sports. I mean, sports is like the one exception. But continuously, you see Republicans and the right attacking 
celebrities for having opinions and putting them out there and using their platform. And yet every time the celebrity is running for the Senate or for governor or for president at this point that has successfully done so has been within their party for the most part. I wouldn't like, like I have, I have a lot more uh, trouble naming any any of the real like uh, big ones i think i don't remember I, I really don't like wrestlers do it and they go into the republican party and you, i mean again like i think al franken would be the 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 one that's a big outlier and it's just consistently and, and i don't think there's inherently something wrong with a celebrity running for office but <laughs> The hypocrisy that always is baked into the cake with these folks is just so apparent and it's so blatant that it's just a little bit frustrating, you know, and we'll piggy, we'll go back to what I was going to say as to why we should be concerned, why it matters is Dr. Oz has a lot of money. There's another candidate in PA, the uh, like Sands woman. I don't remember if that's for governor, to be honest with you, or Senate. Again, there are a lot of candidates, but I have seen her ads and she's a former you know, employee or worked with Trump or something like that. And she has millions of dollars and Dr. Oz has millions of dollars. And because of his platform, he will be able to raise tons and tons of money. And... That is the concerning part. You know, let's just take John Fetterman because John Fetterman is the, I would say the front runner. Um, you know, Connor Lamb is in there. <sighs> yeah, I, I <laughs> we'll talk about this, the Democratic Senate race at some point. Um, but John Fetterman is the front runner, I'd say. He has the most amount of money so far. Um, and... I gotta be honest with you. This the scary part is that what he's raised has been from what it's 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 inspirational from someone like me or for someone probably like you that he gets small donors that are averaging out to like twenty seven dollars, which sounds familiar because that's what Bernie's average donation was. All of these add up versus a Coke sponsored. Pack donating, here's 500 grand, or here's 700 grand, or here's a million dollars. Because remember, once the Republic, this is again not diving too deep into this, this is a difference between Republican and Democratic primaries. Is when the Republicans lose their primary, they get in line and they follow their candidate to the ends of the earth. It's what we've seen with Donald Trump. And We've seen it in many other uh, examples as well. Um, there's few exceptions. There's few exceptions. Like the one guy in Alabama. That was about it. I mean, like, that's the only one that they jump ship on. So, I am not telling you that Dr. Oz is going to be the next Senate uh, senator from Pennsylvania. But what I am telling you is if you live in Pennsylvania, if you're a voter in Pennsylvania, as many of the people that watch the show are, uh, if not all the people, um, <laughs> you should take this seriously. The threat of a 
celebrity running, a celebrity with a lot of money, and a celebrity with a lot of name recognition should be taken seriously. Even if you don't think they're a serious candidate, even if you don't think that they have a real shot, that is how we ended up in this position in numerous times. It is how we got Donald Trump. When we don't take people seriously, we don't like, we don't, uh, I don't, respect is not the right word, but we don't, um, for a lack of a better term, respect the amount of money that these people have. Because unfortunately in this country, again, not only does celebrity and name recognition launch you above um, people, money and wealth, as we've discussed a number of times, it impacts your uh, control of society. It impacts your political power consistently. And... (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, we are talking ungodly amounts of money that I feel like if he was taken to be the candidate would be spent and can be spent. So take that for what it is. Don't go berserk, but also don't ignore it. Don't, um, don't laugh and and I mean you can laugh privately, but like don't like shrug it off and be like, yeah, he's got no shot. Because he does. He does. Even if we have the best candidate in out there on the Democratic side, on, on our ticket. And we will discuss that hopefully sooner rather than later. But alas, I want to move on to the next topic, which is going to be surrounding the current political climate between our Congress people, um, specifically with the squad, um, because I just want to run something, run down some things that I haven't talked about in the last couple of weeks that have led us to um, this week with Ilhan Omar, um, and and I'll just go through the whole thing, and it's going to start a few weeks back when. I think his name's Paul Gosar, a congressman, posted a parody video of an anime of him being this hero, I guess. I think it's, I don't know if it's the intro song or whatever it is. It's just like a, a montage. And it depicts him like, you know, fighting and he, well, I guess he thinks it's cool. But at one point, uh, it shows AOC as this like giant and him killing her. And, you know, I'm not one to be overly sensitive. I, I, I try to, I, at first I didn't realize why it was a big deal. Frankly, I watched the video and I didn't, I didn't, uh, see that he put AOC's face on it. I didn't really get it. Um, I thought it was just a stupid video. And then I realized, oh, okay, yeah, he's literally just showing this as like, oh, he's gonna he's killing her. And I think it's different if you are a comedian. If you are a satirist, if you are an average person, but to cons- to put this out 
depicting killing somebody that consistently has death threats from people that support you is irresponsible and it shows the lack of here's the here's the word that I don't like civility in congress now we will come back to civility this then led um, for Nancy Pelosi and the rest of the House um, to have hearings on whether to censure uh, Representative Gosar, which censuring basically just like strips you of your ability to you know use the floor to give speeches and all that good stuff, right? It doesn't remove you from office. It doesn't um, stop you from running for re-election. I actually don't know if it, I, I would assume it probably resets once you are sworn into a new Congress. I don't actually know that for a fact. Um, so please, if you know, feel free to fact check me in the description box below. But in, in response to this with the hearings, um, and again, let's just point out this is not um this is not an average person this is not just a you know a comedian making a joke this is a congressperson this is supposed to be a representative of our government and of the people and it's just irresponsible it is just cons- it's so blatantly irresponsible to do this. Um, in the hearing, we had, of course, the nut jobs that are on the right in Congress sta- standing up and saying all this crap, and as usual. So, in a key, in a hearing about censuring one of the Republicans, another Republican, Laura uh, Lauren Boebert. Um, steps up and again I I wouldn't say that this is a threat but starts saying racist and xenophobic and uh, Islamophobic things about Ilhan Omar and calling the squad the Jihad squad Now, this is on the congressional floor in a speech during a hearing about censuring somebody else in the Republican Party. That's bad enough. Then, over Thanksgiving, uh, they're on break. And I think it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so a week ago. Same congresswoman gives a speech, tells a story that's allegedly false, that has been that has been called into question by Ilhan Omar's office and has been stated that it is false about being in an elevator with Lauren Boebert and her saying like, oh, look, the Jihad squad showed up for work today. And that's a direct quote. And this is, I am not taking anything out of context. That's exactly what Lauren Boebert said that she said to Ilhan Omar. So that's twice 
as she said, call her the Jihad Squad, implying again that Ilhan Omar is going to blow up uh, the Congress or doing all this, you know, doing te- committed terrorist attack, ignoring the fact that Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Madison Cawthorn, all of these people that are fresh into Congress all supported the January 6th uh, insurrection. All of them. There's evidence that I shouldn't even there is the potential that some of them helped people get into the uh, into the Capitol. So don't freaking tell me anything about terrorism or anything like that when you have supported an insurrection and a treasonous and treacherous attack, a traitorous attack, I should say, against our own government. Don't ever feign your outrage with me and the American public because we can see through it. We can see through it. And again, in the speech, he said it two more times, two more times, saying, calling her the Jihad Squad. How much of a freaking outright bigot and a racist do you have to be to do that? How shameless do you have to be? This is goes back a couple weeks ago to the, the discussion that I had about the Nazi that showed up at the Central Buck School District meeting. What country do we live in that you feel emboldened? You feel powerful saying that stuff. The American way of life, the American Constitution, protects the right to religious liberty. This idiot and Marjorie Taylor Greene both have suggested that uh, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar have to retake their oaths of office on a Christian Bible because that's what they have to do. Even though both of them are not Christians. I'll remind you, you do not, if you're sworn into office, if you're sworn into anything, you do not have to be sworn in on a Christian Bible. You have the right to choose what you are sworn in on. It could be a freaking textbook. It could be, I don't, for a right winger, it could be Ayn Rand. For a Marxist, it could be the Communist Manifesto. For a Christian, it's the Bible. But for an, for a, uh, a Muslim, I'm going to remind you, it is not the Christian Bible. So, when these racists and bigots feel emboldened and they're outwardly projecting this stuff and it gets amplified by Fox News and the media that doesn't call it out and doesn't call it what it is, a racist Islamophobic attack. And then you have Nancy Pelosi, who then hesitates to censure this person. What does that tell the American public? It tells them that is it okay it tells them that is it accepted to be a bigot. We 
should be expecting better. We should be expecting more of our elected officials that if you go out spewing racist nonsense that you are punished for it. They act all high and mighty and tough. Like, cool, you attacked uh, a Somali refugee? You are so tough. And it leads me back to the civility part. I, I frankly forget um, who said it. It might have been Malcolm X, but... Civility is a tool of the oppressor. When you argue in times of need, in times of chaos, in times of of upheaval, in times of inequality, that the way that you are going about it, let's again bring up Colin Kaepernick or any of the protests that happened over the last couple of years... You need to be civil. You need to be civil. You need to be civil. You guys are not doing this correct. You guys are, are being too uh, violent. You guys are being too this or that. It is used as a tool to tell you to shut the fuck up. It is never, ever being utilized in a time where someone actually needs to be told, shut the fuck up. These folks are emboldened because nobody ever tells them that. Because nobody on the Democratic side is going to stand up for Ilhan Omar. Because when she was sworn in, Nancy Pelosi tried to throw her under the bus. And look, I get it. If you were watching the show, you're probably Democrat. So you should be going to your representative and say, we want you to support Ilhan Omar. We want you to censure Lauren Boebert. It's not hard. It doesn't take uh, bravery. It takes the bare minimum of self-dignity, of respect for other people, of respect for another person's religion. And their freedom of speech, the freaking constitution guarantees you the right to freedom of speech. It guarantees you the right to freedom to practice whatever religion you want. It's, it's always civility, civility, civility. We'll talk about something in, uh, probably in the second half about a shooting. And it's always, don't politicize, don't politicize, be civil. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants to talk about this. And yet, when it's useful, the right wing, and selectively, some in the Democratic Party go along with the right wing in politicizing things. Remember, Ilhan Omar was thrown under the bus for a comment talking about the... Um, Israeli um, control of a lot of American politics, uh, not politics, politicians, because of the donations to uh, far right leader or far right politicians in this country and corporatist Democrats. 
Again, as I said a couple weeks ago, you can support Israel and criticize it at the same time because guess what? You can support America and you can criticize it at the same time. You can criticize the government of another country and still support the right to exist. Why can we not think beyond the black and white? We can, but people refuse to. People are obtuse on purpose. So, I will state that it should be on Nancy Pelosi. Censure Lauren Bober. Get it done. Tell these people that it is not acceptable. We don't have, like, I don't, I don't know how winnable her district is, but running somebody against her and funding it really well would be a smart move if it's a winnable district. We will see. We will see. But with that, <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break. Uh, if you guys are enjoying the show, please hit the subscribe button down below on YouTube. Hit the uh, like button. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, patreon.com slash the con O show for as little as $5 a month. You can support the program financially. And I will be right back. Welcome back to part two of the con O show. I'm your host, Connor O'Hanlon. And now we're going to dive into some of the smaller stories, but uh, also very, very impactful. The first one we're going to just talk about very briefly um, because I I didn't um, exactly watch all of the trial or anything like that. But I want to bring up uh, a success in the justice system for once um, is the prosecution, the successful prosecution for murder of the men who killed Ahmaud Aubrey. And we just need to note that this is an example of the right decision made in what is clear as day a murder in the street. And (laughs) frankly, what we saw with Ahmaud Arbery was the tw- a 21st century form of a lynching. So, I point this out to say that although it is important and it is a success, that it, it still shows the cracks in the foundation. We see the implicit underlying racism built into people and institutions and luckily we have evidence that the justice system can work and obviously there are other op there are other examples right but when we look at institutional structures that struggle under a little bit of weight under a little bit of pressure the justice system is one of those and as I discussed, as when it comes to like the Rittenhouse trial, judges are fallible. Juries are fallible. And even though we can see it clear as day, people have questions. People, you know, in today's society, in today's political climate will question well, what was he doing? What was he, you know, why was he running or why was he doing this? Why didn't he stop and listen to what they had to say? 
And I've had these conversations. Again, I did not watch minute by minute the trial. I watched some highlights of it. And I've seen the goddamn video. And that's really all you need to see. Um, and I've had these conversations where, I mean, literally have been asked, why didn't he stop and listen to what they have to say? I mean, I don't know. Would you stop if three men in a pickup truck were driving behind, strictly striving behind you and had had shotguns uh, as they walked up to you? I sure as hell would not stop to talk with them. So this is not a small story. Um, I just don't have that much to add to the to the, you know, narrative of it other than just to say the jury was correct. Um, It gives us some hope uh, that the justice system can work properly. And, um, you know, maybe it again, I I really don't believe in um, I don't believe that the precedent of prosecuting somebody or the precedent of putting someone in jail or the threat of somebody going to jail will prevent them from killing somebody. Um, I think you just need uh you know, there are other, there are a bunch of other things that impact that, but I don't think it can hurt, um, to have the precedent say, Hey, look, you do this stuff, you're going to jail. And some people are just still going to ignore it. And some people still probably will get off from doing stuff like this because if it's not caught on, if it the, I guess the one important thing to note, if this was not caught on camera, these people would have gotten away with it. If this was not caught on camera, and the video was so obvious. The district attorney in the county, and I, I'm drawing a blank on the county, so I apologize. In the county in which this took place in Georgia, did not prosecute these people. They didn't even want to prosecute these people. And they would have gotten away with it. All of it. They wouldn't have had a single goddamn issue with it. They would have gotten away with it and... Nobody would have known because nobody would have seen it. And this is the problem with uh, the surveillance state. This is the problem with police. Um, not This is not just the only problem, but police wearing body cams helps both the police and it helps the uh, accused or the people that are being chased by the police or being arrested by the police or being falsely accused by the police. This is exactly the reason why body cams and footage from iPhones is important. The reason why I bring up the securities or surveillance state is that you never see you, frankly, unless you're in the privacy of your own home and great, great for again, frankly, if you have a webcam, you, you have the potential of being watched with your phone. You have the potential of being listened to at all times. And yet these are never used for um, saving somebody's life. These are never used for um, helping somebody that is accused falsely of something. These are just cute. These are just used to collect your fucking data and sell it to the highest bidder. And that's the most disgusting part of this stuff is knowing that we are constantly under surveillance. We are constantly being watched and we are never, ever being getting a benefit from it. It is all negative downside. You're being watched on the streets. There's cameras everywhere. There's nothing that is going that is positive about it. It's very rarely that you see a positive outcome because of that. But when you actually force evidence 
into the courtroom. If you force police officers to wear a body cam, it helps both sides. It helps the parties both. And, you know, there's obviously straw man arguments there. I don't have the time to go through every one of them. But it is important to note that without video, the Georgia DA in that county wouldn't have prosecuted and we would have three murderers walking the streets. Three racist murderers walking the streets. So, uh, I think it was the, um, the state attorney general that said that they had to do it, and they did. So, at least <sighs> justice was served in one sense. The next story that we want to talk about briefly dovetails nicely with last week's episode, as it uh, turns out, with mainstream media critique. Uh, and specifically, critique of CNN. Because again, <laughs> uh, the funny thought that CNN is leftist, I mean, at best, it is left of center. But people always say like, you know, lying liberal media and all that other stuff. And, you know, I joke about that. Um, but CNN had their primetime Host, Chris Cuomo, caught in the coordination of the rehabilitation of his brother, Andrew Cuomo. And if you don't know, Andrew Cuomo and Chris Cuomo are the son of Mario Cuomo, who was uh, governor of New York way back. So the lineage of nepotism is is very, very clear. The lineage of people in media, in politics, the lineage of nepotism bleeds throughout of it. The whole thing. It's so apparent. Um, because, like, do you really think Chris Cuomo is that uh, great of a, <laughs> of a host? I would argue he's not that great of a host. And now... As of today, he is no longer a host for CNN. He is suspended indefinitely, which basically means he's going to be let go because of his rehabilitation of his brother when his brother, Andrew, was accused of uh, sexual misconduct with multiple women. Obviously, we talked about when Cuomo had to resign, or Andrew Cuomo had to resign, I can't just say Cuomo, when Andrew Cuomo had to resign from the governorship of New York, and now, which apparently it wasn't clear beforehand that Chris Cuomo was telling him what to do. I mean, like, they're brothers, they're obviously going to talk to each other, unless they hated each other, which is pretty rare, um, but how could you, as CNN keep him all that time to begin with i mean like why even i i mean it's an it's a rhetorical question we know why chris cuomo is there it is because of nepotism it is because of the influence of his family it is because the influence of his brother at the time and this is a clear uh example as to why we should evaluate people's opinions based on, um, you know, not just based on, like, 
their structure their family structure or like who they hang out with or whatever but i mean if you if you are in a position of power because of the influence of your father and because the influence of your brother then you are probably not going to critique them specifically your brother at the time and then having them on his show which as he has done with his brother andrew cuomo shouldn't be allowed you should not be allowed to give these softball question interviews to somebody that you are related to it would be like i mean it's different i guess a little bit if i had my brother on here because he's not a freaking governor neither of them are but even that it's like why do that unless you know if if it's like you're discussing movies and comic books fine but if you're discussing politics and you're supposed to be holding these people to account that really shouldn't be allowed it's pretty obvious. But as of right now, uh, CNN, if you want to have a progressive host um, take over for Cuomo, you can. Uh, I'll send you my phone number and the, uh, the Con O show can take over for Cuomo primetime and we'll set that up. But for, I, don't, I don't foresee that happening. So uh, you guys are stuck with me here. And uh, that... It's just it is just an important uh, note as my critique of corporate media because remember corporate media is there to make money. How do you make more money? You have access to power. You have access to people like Andrew Cuomo. <sighs> Man, it would be cool to like limit the nepotism in these things, but we'll see. Maybe moving forward, um, and. That leads me to the next, another story in which there was a shooting in Michigan, which I don't, I don't care to discuss, um, a lot of the specifics because, you know, it does us no good, but as usual with these shootings and stuff like that, like obviously I don't say, I don't pray, so it's not like thoughts and prayers, but like, we have to keep people in our, in the, these people, these families in our, in our thoughts and use those thoughts and for some prayers to take action. Okay. We know, and I've said this before, we know it's going to be a struggle. We know it's going to be a grind to consistently fight against the NRA, the NRA who was supposed to be this bastion of gun safety now is just a bastion of gun sales. What happened when I was a kid, even when I was a kid, which it still changed, like by the time I was like five or six, it was already starting to like have like the real um, radicalization. But even as a kid, when I mean, my family has guns. Um, we would go and I learned how to use one properly. Because that is what you're supposed to do if you have a gun. It turned from that into everyone needs a gun. Everyone needs a gun. Everyone needs a gun. We need to get everybody has to, should have a gun. Unless you're a leftist, then you shouldn't have a gun. But then, yeah. It, and it just, it's disheartening because I have to have these conversations then with people that are apolitical or not as plugged in as you or I might be and discuss like, 
why isn't there action taken? Because over, you know, the vast majority of gun owners believe in common sense uh, background checks. They believe in common sense uh, regulations when it comes to magazine sizes, when it comes to the actual guns that you can get, um, when it comes to the certain ammunition that can be used, when it comes to all that stuff, right? And look, I don't know every answer. Um, I'm, I would gladly learn more, but I do know that the way that you stop or you, uh, well, and let's just, let's just, um, split that open a little bit. There is no way to stop gun violence without getting rid of all guns, which is not going to happen. But I've, I've had a thought about this and I've compared it and I've thought about it with comparison to COVID. Because remember, a lot of people are intentionally dense about saying that they don't understand why I have to get a vaccine. If you get a vaccine, you're good. So I shouldn't have to do it because that's my personal freedom. Which really is very, very close to what the gun argument is. If I have a gun and I'm responsible with it, why should um, why should anybody else matter? And... Realistically, the way that you prevent the spread of COVID is you can't prevent it 100% unless you're a hermit, but you can at least limit the risk of spread by wearing a mask in the beginning. Lockdowns if you had to in the beginning. Vaccines, which don't prevent you from getting the disease. They don't prevent you from uh, spreading it, but they reduce the risk of you getting the disease. They reduce the risk of you getting seriously ill, and they reduce the risk of you getting it and then spreading it. Because you can only spread the disease if you've gotten the disease. The same idea can be applied to guns. If you have a gun, the way that you reduce somebody getting hurt with it is you get the proper training. If you were going to get a gun and you want to make sure that people are in the proper mindset to have a gun, you have background checks and you have um, uh, cool-off periods and you have all of these things that help prevent someone getting a gun. And now in this particular case, you have parents who were negligent with a gun. But this is a a broader conversation here because I don't, again... This is like these individual cases are in the past, right? You need to use these times to have the discussion and to um, work through the solutions. But, you know, there are a number of things that can be done to help reduce the risk. You cannot stop 100% of them. That is just a fact at this point. But you can reduce the risk. Just like COVID. (sighs) Which... The last thing we're going to talk about here today is Tulsi Gabbard, which I haven't talked about here on uh, on here about in a long time, really since the presidential primary, um, which I have to admit, um, I was dead wrong about her. Um, Maybe I was caught up in um, the faux progressivism that she espoused. Maybe I had heard her. I know I I heard her back in 20... 18 and 2019 really kind of going i know she went on joe rogan's podcast which i'm not a fan of joe rogan but i do listen to a lot of the um certain interviews and i thought you know 
she has some reasonable stuff. Um, I know uh, a former uh, podcast host that I used to listen to, Michael Brooks, who has passed away, um, had a lot of critiques of her foreign policy, which made me learn a lot about India and Pakistan and the Hindu nationalists. That's a whole other thing. The reason why we're talking about Tulsi Gabbard today is because she is making the ultimate turn to the right, which is going to make my thesis of this final chapter of the Kano show today. Is Tulsi Gabbard going to run for president as a Republican? Now, hear me out. Because this is just a fun experiment. And I just thought this would be a fun... I haven't heard anyone discuss this, okay? And this is the question I have for you. Leave a comment in the in, in the YouTube um, comment section. Do you think that Col- Tulsi Gabbard will run for president as a Republican? Or, this is, this is like a part two. If she doesn't run for president, do you think that somebody will pick her to be her their vice president? On the Republican side. It's an interesting thought. And I want to posit this. Because one. Tulsi has gone on to say a number of times. uh, Very questionable things. About the treatments for COVID. Whether they be ivermectin. And let's also remember hydroxychloroquine. We never ever talk about that anymore. There is proof that there was no benefit. Of using hydroxychloroquine. And for like. Seven or eight months. That's all people said. It was the it was the ivermectin before ivermectin. And now you have um, Tulsi doubting vaccines. You have uh, Tulsi saying like all this stuff on Fox News. She goes on Fox News all the time. I'll remind you too that she did start. Um, she was working on like that. Uh, lo- it's like that locals thing, which is not a dating app, which it sounds like a dating app with uh, Dave Rubin. For those who don't know, Dave Rubin is a far right, or maybe not far right. Uh, I guess it depends on how you want to look at it. I would consider him far right. Um, online commentator. And uh, she has also uh, started to just like really dig in on being anti-woke. And that concept of anti-woke... Which is bullshit. It's a bullshit um, phrase. It's a BS like uh, entire counter ideology. Is entirely reactionary. It's entirely um, in response to, you know, in in her in her case and many people that are like anti woke made up things. They are, they just make things up and just say like, well, you guys are too woke. You guys are too woke, too woke. Um, and I'll be honest with you. This seems to be the main uh, litmus test for Republicans at this point. It's like, oh, oh, she was critical. She was saying like Democrats want critical race theory. I mean, there's a reason why she didn't run for re-election in 2020 in in Congress is because she would have lost. Um, and she's not popular with Democrats. Obviously, now she's not popular with Democrats. She wasn't really popular with Democrats before. Um, and I just, you know, I see it. Plenty of people see it. She's on Twitter all the time saying stupid stuff. She's on like Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson. And um, 
she's very uh, hammering the anti-wokeism. And I'm just curious if she does switch, well, she's going to switch to a Republican or she's going to at least go independent. Will she run for office again? And will it be president? Because I think she's an egomaniac. I think um, she likes the spotlight. She likes the attention. And frankly, a lot of like dude bros um, like her. And, you know, I probably fit that stereotype, but I wouldn't consider myself like a dude bro. I know I'm a Bernie bro, but I didn't like her because she surfed or because she was like doing CrossFit. I liked her because she supported Medicare for all and she doesn't do that anymore. And I liked her because she that's the other part of this is during the primary, the presidential primary, there were key people on the left or supposedly on the left that supported Tulsi Gabbard over Elizabeth Warren and more importantly, over Bernie Sanders. And those people casted doubt onto the Bernie campaign and they supported Tulsi Gabbard and Tulsi didn't even support Medicare for all in the 2020 primary. If you didn't know, supporting Medicare for all is my number one issue. Um, obviously, in many races, people don't have that option. And in, in many races, neither candidate supports Medicare for all. And then I have to make the judgment call. But if you were talking about a presidential candidate, one of them being Bernie Sanders, the other being Tulsi Gabbard, and one, Bernie, supports Medicare for all, Let like let alone all the other policies, and the other one, Tulsi, doesn't, it's an easy choice. So, I mean, I guess if there had to be a right winger, I would I would uh, rather go against. I would rather go against Tulsi Gabbard than like Donald Trump. But there seemed to be this mending on the other side, this like molding together as melting pot of fascism on the right. And um, I'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that. With that being said, that is all I have for you today. Really appreciate you hanging out with me. And if you enjoyed the show, hit the subscribe button down below on YouTube. You can hit the thumbs up. This really helps us get out in the algorithm and reach more people. Uh, if you are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you could follow or you can uh, subscribe and you'll get notifications when we launch the episodes every Friday. Um, I would also ask that if you are a fan of the show, you leave a review. If you leave a review, that helps us get more audio listeners. Um, and then if you would like to follow me even more, you can go to social media at facebook.com slash the con o show um, on Instagram at the con o show Twitter. You can follow me at con underscore O'Hanlon. And yeah, that's mainly it for the social media. Patreon.com slash The Con O Show. You can support the show for as little as $5 a month. And hopefully um, we are we, we have started our process of getting more clips out of more social media clips, more YouTube clips of the show, which will soon enable me to do more uh, exclusive clips for Patreon, which you will need to be a subscriber for. Uh, so go go ahead on over there and uh, support the show that way. And even if you just want to support the show so I can pay um, <laughs> Josh, who does the editing, uh, that would be awesome. And yeah, I think that's it. 
if you guys made it this far with me, I appreciate you. I will see you next week. Stay safe. Peace. Mm-hmm.